who saves is also the story about how God's saved people respond to him. Uh, the story of Exodus is the story of the God who saves, but it's also the story of how those saved people respond. So think about that. How is God's grace made visible in your life? How is the fact that God has intervened in your life, saved you, made you his own, how is that then reflected? The truth of what we just sang, I am his and he is mine. How is that truth reflected in my life? We're going to read a passage in Exodus 35 and 36 that are going to highlight this one aspect of this reality, and it's this, that one of the ways that God's grace is made visible in our lives is a transformed view of our material possessions, uh, of our stuff. And so if you would join me uh, on Exodus, in Exodus chapter 35, if you don't have a Bible, please grab uh, one of the hardcover ones there in the rack in front of you. You should find it on page 35. I'm going to read Exodus, excuse me, page 75. I'm going to read Exodus 35 verses 4 through 29 and then uh, chapter 36 verses 2 through 7. Let's give attention to God's word. Exodus 35 verse 4. Moses said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, This is the thing that the Lord has commanded. Take from among you a contribution to the Lord. Whoever is of a generous heart, let him bring the Lord's contribution. Gold, silver, bronze, blue and purple and scarlet yarns, fine twined linen, goat's hair, tanned ram skins and goat skins, acacia wood, oil for the light, spices for the anointing oil, for the fragrant incense, and onyx stones, stones for setting, for the ephod and for the breast piece. Let every skillful craftsman among you come and make all that the Lord has commanded, the tabernacle, its tent and its covering, its hooks and its frames, its bars, its pillars and its bases, the ark with its poles, the mercy seat and the veil of the screen, the table with its poles and all its utensils and the bread of the presence. The lampstand also for the light with its utensils and its lamps and the oil for the light and the altar of incense with its poles and the anointing oil and the fragrant incense and the screen for the door at the door of the tabernacle, the altar of burnt offering with its grating of bronze, its poles and all its utensils, the basin and its stand, the hangings of the court, its pillars and its bases and the screen for the gate of the court, the pegs of the tabernacle and the pegs of the court and their cords, the finely worked garments for ministering in the holy place, the holy garments for Aaron the priest and the garments of his sons for their service as priest. Let's pause right there. That was a bit of a mouthful. I feel like we all need to take a deep breath. Okay. Now, uh, everything that Moses just listed, he's already spoken to them about. We did a sermon on that, about the tabernacle and its function and all of its furniture and all that, all that stuff. Okay. Um, so Moses is just reiterating that now the people will give to, uh, to these purposes to this need. Um, and then we're going to pick up reading in verse 20 there. Then all the congregation of the people of Israel departed from the presence of Moses and they came. Everyone whose heart stirred him and everyone whose spirit moved him and brought the Lord's contribution to be used for the tent of meeting and for all its service and for the holy garments. So they came both men and women, all who were of a willing heart 
brought brooches and earrings and signet rings and armlets, all sorts of gold objects, every man dedicating an offering of gold to the Lord. And everyone who possessed blue or purple or scarlet yarns or fine linen or goat's hair or tanned ram skin or goat skins brought them. Everyone who could make a contribution of silver or bronze brought it as the Lord's contribution. And everyone who possessed acacia wood of any use in the work brought it. And every skillful woman spun with her hands, and they all brought what they had spun in blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen. All the women whose hearts stirred them to use their skill spun the goat's hair. And the leaders brought onyx stones and stones to be set for the ephod and for the breastpiece, and spices and oil for the light and for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense. All the men and women, the people of Israel, whose heart moved them to bring anything for the work that the Lord had commanded by Moses to be done, brought it as a free will offering to the Lord. We're going to skip down now to chapter 36, verse 2. Just so you know, what we're, what we're skipping through uh, is just where Moses talks to the foreman on the job, basically, the guys who will head up the work, Bezalel and Oholiab. So verse 2 of chapter 36. And Moses called Bezalel, Bezalel and Oholiab and every craftsman in whose mind the Lord had put skill, everyone whose heart stirred him up to come to do the work. And they received from Moses all the contribution that the people of Israel had brought for doing the work on the sanctuary. They still kept bringing him free will offerings every morning so that all the craftsmen who were doing every sort of task on the sanctuary came each from the task that he was doing and said to Moses, the people bring much more than enough for doing the work that the Lord has commanded us to do. So Moses gave command and word was proclaimed throughout the camp. Let no man or woman do anything more for the contribution for the sanctuary. So the people were restrained from bringing for the material they had was sufficient to do all the work and more. Let's pray. Father, would you please take this word, this word of yours, communicated to them, but given for us, and by the power of your Holy Spirit, would you apply its principles to our hearts and lives? More than anything, God, I pray that we would delight in and treasure your generous mercy to us, and that you would accomplish through us all that needs to be done for your work and service. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. The, uh, the, the main idea of today's sermon uh, is that God's generous grace moves us to overflow in generosity. God's generous grace to us moves us to flow to overflow in generosity. And we're going we're gonna to look at this in three kind of headings. First, the what of giving. What is, what is it that we give to? What do we give to? How do we give? And why do we give? I realize that first point is grammatically incorrect. It should say, to what do we give? But, little grace, okay? What looks much better at the front of a question than to, okay? So, what do we give to? How do we give and why do we give? There's a young couple in Laos. They have a, they have a young son. They live in a village where they are 
the really some of the only Christians, many of the other people who have professed the name of Jesus uh, under persecution have renounced Jesus, have, have drawn back from following Jesus and not this couple. And so the authorities, in an effort to get them to leave their village, basically came and destroyed their house. Uh, but what this couple did was they took their... Uh, they took their belongings, they gathered what they could, and they basically built a small hut for them to live in. They did not leave their village, they remained there, even under threat of persecution. What is it that can make a person live that way? What is it that makes a person do that? And I would respond, it is the grace of God at work in their hearts. It is God's grace being made visible. That's what we see happening in this passage, uh, these passages that, that I just read. Uh, it is God's grace being made visible. Uh, so let's start with the what. What is it that we give to? And in this passage in front of us, uh, the Lord, through Moses, calls for an offering of treasure Verses 4 through 9, he asked him to bring gold, silver, bronze, you know, nice uh, nice stuff, nice skins, oil, spices, everything that they would have counted as treasure. And he asked them to bring an offering from that, an offering of treasure and of talent. Do you notice that in verses 10 through 19, that not only does he call for stuff to be brought, but he also calls for people who know how to work with it. Right. People into whose mind God has placed skill. So people who know how to sew, people who know how to work with metal, people who know how to work with wood. God calls those people um, to come and uh, to all of this treasure and talent and necessarily time, time, treasure and talent to build his tabernacle. Right. This massive mobile tent where God will live and meet with his people. So the, the purpose of these gifts is to bring God's presence down off the mountain close to the people. Right? It is so that people can draw near to God as God draws near to his people. Okay? That is the purpose of the tabernacle. That's the mission at the moment. And just to kind of rehearse the story of Exodus, he has saved them. He has spoken his word to them, his law, his Ten Commandments. He has made them his own in every possible way. They are his and he is theirs. And now he has a promise to keep. They, they have a land, the land of milk and honey, the promised land that they are going to. And it's time to get on the road. And this tabernacle, this big worship tent uh, that they're going to build, that they're building, is the is meant to be the physical, ever-present reminder that God is going with them, that he is not leaving them. He will not leave them. So that's what they're giving to. That's their mission. They are, they are giving uh, the kingdom mission at this Exodus moment. The people are giving to this mission of God drawing close to his people so that his people can draw close to them. That's what they're giving to. That's what's happening here in Exodus. Now, if you think about it, our mission is still the same. Huh? Do you mean we need to like, we need to build a tent? No, we don't need to build a tent. Do you mean we need to build a nice sanctuary? No, we already have one of those. Right? The mission is not the structure. It's what the structure accomplishes. The purpose of this structure and the purpose of this body are the same. It is to draw people to God as God draws close to his people. 
So, think about this. This tent, this tabernacle, will give way to a temple. And then that temple will give way to a person. God will actually come in human flesh and dwell with His people. We call Him Jesus. And so in that way, the mission is still the same, right? The good news, the gospel, is that God has drawn near. God has come to us in the person of Jesus. And that we, if you are in Jesus, if you are a part of, uh, of His church, part of His body, uh, you are now connected in a living way to Jesus. And our mission is to welcome other people to Jesus. To draw people to the presence of God as God has drawn close to people. And so that's what happens, right? That's, uh, that happens. People draw, we, people come to know God as we draw them to know Jesus, right? Church is simply that. Just is, is just a community of people who by grace trust in and follow Jesus. If you want a definition for church, there it is right there. It is not the building in which we meet. It is a, it is a people, a, a gathering of people who by grace Trust in and follow Jesus. We want that for ourselves and we want it for others. And so that is the mission. And so, in one sense, what the Israelites gave to and what we give to are the same mission. The same thing, that God would be known. Jesus prays this in John chapter 17, verse 3, as he talks to his Father in heaven. He says, this is eternal life. If you want to know what eternal life is, if you're, if you're here this morning, you've heard Christians talk about this thing called eternal life, or maybe you've been around the church for a while, but you're kind of wrestling, struggling, like, okay, now what exactly, what exactly is it that you Christian people have on offer? What is, what, what's going on here? If you want a definition for eternal life, this is it. This is eternal life. This is from the mouth of Jesus. That they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. That's eternal life. To know God through Jesus Christ. And the only way that that happens, uh, the only way that that happens is if they hear. The only way that they hear is if someone speaks. And the only way someone can speak is if we go. And you know what we need to go? We need gifts. We need giving. So, uh, just by virtue of our, uh, by our I mean the Corleys, just by virtue of kind of where God has placed us in the community, we usually get invited to uh, three to four fundraisers a year, which is a little bit humorous um, because it's not like we're just rolling it. Like you want, you don't want to invite me to your fundraiser, okay? Let's just say that up front. Um, you might get a 20, okay? Uh, so I'm not... I am not the guy you want at your fundraiser. There's not a whole lot of extra margin. There are plenty of people who have more margin than we do. But all that to say, there are plenty of causes in the world. There are plenty of causes in Chilton County. Could any cause be more important than drawing people to know God through Jesus? Could any cause be more worth our time? 
Could any cause be more worth our talent? Could any cause be more worth our treasure than drawing people to know and follow Jesus Christ? Could any cause be more necessary? Could any cause be more urgent? That is the mission. To draw people to God through Jesus so that they can have life. That is what we give to. We give to, we give, when, when we give, when this plate passes, and so, um, Next week, during our congregational meeting, when we look at the financial report, if you grab that, that, that small little packet in the back on your way out today, what I hope that you see in the budget, and I want, what I want to be increasingly reflected in the budget, is that mission. Right? Every styrofoam plate we buy, every electric bill we pay, is geared towards drawing people to know God through Jesus. I don't believe there's any more cause, there's no cause more necessary or more urgent in the world than that one. And that is the, that is the cause that we are dedicated to as a church. That is a cause that we should be dedicated to give to. So I want for us to think in terms of how we give our money and ourselves to further the disciple making mission of Jesus. Okay? That's, that's the what of giving. Our mission and their mission have a similarity and that we are drawing people to the presence of God. Okay? God has drawn close to us and now we want to draw others to God. Okay? How? How do we give? That's the what. Here's the how. Uh, look at Exodus 36 in verse 3. I've read through Exodus several times. I don't know that I caught this until uh, this, really in the past couple of weeks as I began to prepare uh, for the next, for, the, for this sermon. So God gifts two men, Bezalel and Oholiab. If you're looking for, you know, good pet names, start there, right? Uh, he gifts, he gives two men, Bezalel and Oholiab. They are, they are kind of the foreman, right? Um, Moses, notice, Moses is not the foreman. Right? He, for, Moses is a shepherd. He probably doesn't know anything about whittling wood or fashioning gold. But Bezalel and Aholiab do. So God has gifted these two men to lead this project. Moses receives the gifts. He gives it to them. Did you notice what, what, what's happening? Uh, so Moses makes the call, right? He gives the ask for, uh, the, this treasure and this talent. Uh, and people start bringing their gifts. And they keep bringing their gifts. Every morning, people show up at Moses' door with more stuff. Right? And, and did you notice too, men and women, it's said twice, it's emphasized, men and women. No one is excluded from this giving party. Everyone who has a gift, everyone who has something to offer, they are contributing out of what they have to this mission, to this project. And the result? Look at verse 4. All the craftsmen who were doing every sort of task on the sanctuary came, each from the task that he was doing. So these guys stopped their work, they stopped their crews to come to Moses and say this, the people bring much more than enough for doing the work that the Lord has commanded. I'd never noticed that before this week. The people bring much more than enough. Now, we're not there yet. Um, 
They had more than they needed. We're not, we're not there yet. Now, I don't say that to uh, scold. And I don't say that to shame. Because I think this is a pretty unique moment in the Bible. People, the, look, the people do not always respond this way. Alright? Uh, in Acts 2, this new thing called the church, uh, the people are just giving sacrificially, right? If somebody has a need, so-and-so sells his house and gives him the proceeds. I mean, it's this amazing uh, love fest of giving, okay? That's a unique moment in history. It doesn't, that, that does not always happen. So that's the first thing. You know, I, I don't want to, I, I don't, I don't say that to scold or to shame because this is fairly unique. But I say it because I'm fascinated by it. How free these people feel. How unburdened. I mean, they go, it's like they go home every night after a day's work and they're like, like all right, what else can we give? That. We won't need that. Let's give that. Every night. So much so that they keep showing up at Moses' tent with more stuff. Hey, we found some more gold earrings. Here, take these. I say all this because that's where I want to go. That's, that's, that's where I want to be in my own heart. I want to be free like them. I want to be so enamored with the love that God has shown to me that I just keep giving. That I am, that I am unburdened of the need to hold on to more stuff and just give it freely, willingly, gladly. Right? I'm fascinated by this. I'm motivated by it. And I, to, to live this way myself and to call us as a church to live this way. To demonstrate God's grace to us in this way. So, oftentimes when we think about how we're going to give... We tend to think, usually, usually we ask questions, I, I, won't, I won't assume you do, I'm going to assume that I do. I tend to ask questions that limit me, right? Or that limit uh, what I'm going to give. It's kind of a joke in my house that, that I'm a terrible tipper, okay? Like, if the, if the acceptable range, used to it was 10%. Somebody made a rule that we can't do that anymore, right? Um, but it used to, right, the acceptable range was like 10 to 20. It was a fairly certain bet that at some point in his life, Kevin Corley was a lot closer to 10, maybe under, right? Um, I even have a card in my wallet that tells me the right percentages because I'm bad at math, okay? Um, and my wife, who's good at math, laughs at me when I pull the card out and start trying to, you know, like, I'm, I'm never over. I, oddly enough, I don't seem to shoot over 20% a whole lot. Um, and usually I, I get kind of the stare from across the table like, really? Okay. So you just know, this is where I'm coming from when, when, when I think about me and how uh, I give. I tend to ask questions like, well, I mean, surely 10% is enough. Uh, now, is that, is that on the net? Do we want to tithe on the net or do we want to tithe on the gross? Now, listen, those aren't bad questions. In fact, they're good questions to be asking, right? If you're going to make a budget, which is a good thing, if you're going to try to determine how you, how you spend your money, that's a good thing, and you ought to ask those questions. That's really important. But as you're asking those questions, I want us to drill down deeper and get to this reality, that these people were so glad in God that they were just unburdened, Right? Um, that they, they brought all of these free will offerings to the Lord. How, they were free. 
That's where I want us to get. So even when I'm asking the question, all right, is it going to be 10%? Can we do 10%? Or when I'm asking the question, okay, is that 10% on the net or the gross? I want to ask that with an eye to freedom, not limits. Right? I want to ask that, to, I want to ask that with an eye on God's goodness, not my limitations. That's usually where I'm at. I'm usually got my eye on my limitations. These people at this moment have their eye on God's goodness. That moves us to the why. So we did what? We did how. Let's talk about why. Why were these people so free? Why were they motivated in the way that they were? The first question I would ask to answer that question is, where do you think these gifts came from? Where did they get the gold, the silver, the bronze, and the fine, all the fine things? Do you know? Do you remember in the story? They got them from their Egyptian neighbors. Right? That as God saved them from slavery, he motivated their neighbors to give them gifts to get out of town. Right? In fact, God even commanded the women, he said, go and talk to your neighbors and get whatever they have. Right? And God, and God frees the hearts of the Egyptian neighbors to give this stuff to the Israelites who are leaving. So these slaves, who probably didn't have a whole lot, are now leaving Egypt with riches. You know how hard they work for those riches? Not a bit. Right? This wasn't theirs. This was not their treasure. This was plunder. Right? Uh, it was common in the ancient world, right, that when your, uh, when your army beat their army, you took their, their good stuff, okay? Um, and that's kind of what's happening with the Israelites leaving Egypt. Except that they don't fight. They don't even know how to fight. They don't even have weapons. God defeats the Egyptians for the Israelites and then makes them give them all their good stuff. That's what we call grace right there. Not just in a spiritual sense, but in a physical sense. And now God calls them to offer out of that plunder, right? Out of, out of that grace-earned treasure, God says, let's bring an offering and let's build a tabernacle, right? So giving to the mission comes from the fruits of the mission in one sense, Right? These people, uh, give because they have, they freely give because they have freely received. That's the first, that's, that's, that's a principle we need to keep in mind when it comes to our giving. It's not mine. I didn't earn it. Now, you might want to say, okay, well, hey, listen, you know how hard I work, right? I mean, every dollar I get, I get by the sweat of my brow. Okay? Right, and that's good, right? Hard work is good. God commands hard work. That's pleasing to God. But as one pastor uh, put it to me, um, there's somebody else who works just as many hours as you do who earns a lot less than you do. And there's someone else who, earns, who works just as hard, works as many hours as you do, who earns more than you do. So that tells me that there is a component of grace in what we earn, Right? Uh, as, as somebody put it in Sunday school, people don't have to buy my product, but they're motivated to do so. That's grace. So even what we have, even what we work for, we receive from somewhere else. That's grace. It's not ours. So we can be, we can give it away. Right? We can gladly give it because we didn't, we gladly received it. Let's gladly give a portion of it back. So, uh, that, that's part of the why. 
But then I also want you to notice something else. Think about this. All this gold and jewelry, if you think back just a couple of chapters, they were wearing it. Do you remember what they were doing when they were wearing it? They were worshiping a golden calf. So they had taken all of the treasure that God gave them, they used some of it to make a golden calf, and then they put the rest of it on so that they could worship and celebrate this false god that they'd created. Right? And now, after after they repent, after God has promised to not forsake them, He's promised to forgive them, He calls them to give it. Right? So, um, think about this. God takes His things that were once used to worship false gods, he redeems them, and he sets them apart for himself. He takes his things, he redeems them, and he sets them apart for himself. Is this not what God does with his own people? I mean, that's what Neil read for us from Colossians 3. That God has brought us out of the domain of darkness by the sacrifice of His Son, redeeming us in Jesus, so that we would be set apart for His good work. God is just doing in material wealth what He's doing in the human heart. That's the real why behind giving. The real why is that giving is a joyful response to God's grace. We're not giving because we're paying God as tax. We're not giving because, you know, if we if we don't, the holy hammer is going to smash us from heaven. We give because we're delighted at what God has done in our lives and we want to see Him do it in other people's lives. That's the why. Did you notice how the people are described in verse 5 and in verse 22 of chapter 35. Let's look real quick. Whoever is of a generous heart. Generous heart, verse 5. Then again in verse 22. So they came, both men and women, all who were of a generous heart. Now the ESV translates that willing heart. I don't know why because it's the same exact word as verse 5. The people are described as those of a generous heart. And generous hearts are motivated by generosity to them. Alec Motier, a theologian, says this, Where the heart is right and motives of personal consecration are at work, the purse strings get relaxed and problems of finance and supply are at an end. There is no problem of finance and supply, right? The, the Israelites aren't looking going, oh man, here's the plans for the tabernacle, we're not going to have enough, right? It's too much. I don't know what they did with all the extra, but it was too much, right? The, the tabernacle, like the, the, the craftsmen are like, hey, we got everything we need. When was the, <laughs> when was the last time that happened, right? Um, God's people are so motivated by His generosity that they overflow in generosity when it comes to His mission. I want that to be true of me. I want that to be true of us as a people. 
that we're so glad of that what of, in what God has done for us that we just want to give to see God do it in other people. We want to give it in our money. We want to give it in our time. And we want to give it in our talent. All right? Now, that includes some things that aren't, you know, so amazing, right? Like, I would, I would love... Um, Look, I would love to not have to pay an electricity bill. All right? Like, my staff, the staff here at the church can tell you that I am not a fun person to work for in, in this respect. I'm, I'm like, I'm like Ebenezer Scrooge when it comes to like the bills and stuff. I'm like, hey, how come Alabama Power charges an extra dollar? Right? Um, but that's part of the mission, right? We gotta pay the bills. We gotta, we gotta keep the water running. You want us to keep the water running. Like all that, that's part of the mission. Um, but, but I want what motivates us to be gladness in God's saving work. Let's flip over to, uh, we'll finish with this in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Paul is talking to the Corinthian church. And here's what he says, 2 Corinthians 9, verse 7. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, because God loves a cheerful giver. That word for cheerful, I shared this in Sunday school, that word for cheerful is hilarion. It's where we get our word hilarious from, Right? So in one sense, we want to be hilarious givers, right? Think of, think of everything that comes into your mind when you think of the word hilarious. Not absurdly funny, but just that, that freedom of laughter. That's the kind of, that's the kind of giving that Paul says God enjoys, right? God, uh, loves a cheerful giver. And God is able, check this out. God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency enough in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. We give joyfully and cheerfully knowing that God will give us all that we need. He will give us all grace and all sufficiency in all things at all times so that we can abound in every good work. The grace, the, the generous grace of God causes God's people to overflow in generosity. That's a prayer for me. That's a prayer for us as a church. So let's, let's pray that together now. God in heaven, again, we can't even fathom uh, the generosity that you have shown to us, the generosity that you have given to us. But I pray that you would give us a glimpse. I pray for me and for us that we would be so overcome with what Jesus has done that we would be hilarious givers, cheerful to give to the mission of drawing other people to know you. Would you help us to be free and glad in this? We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, before uh, our next...
moment. Um, I'm going to invite uh, Aaron and Amber Shellnut and their boys to come down front. Um, Amber's going to hate every minute of it, and that's okay. Um, C.S. Lewis, uh, just paraphrasing, C.S. Lewis says that when you're a Christian, uh, being a Christian means never having to say goodbye. Um, it just means, uh, being a Christian means see you later. And so uh, this week is the last Sunday that the Shellnut family will be with us, right? Yes. Okay. Didn't know if that changed. Happy for it to change. Um, and so um, Aaron is, uh, is taking a job. He's taking a job in Louisville, Kentucky. They are moving this week. And so I wanted to invite them up uh, and invite our elders to come up um, to come and uh, just lay hands on the shell nuts, not in an effort to restrain them from going anywhere. Don't grab them too hard, fellas. Um, but to pray for them and just ask God's blessing on uh, on their lives as they move out. So um, let me ask uh, let me ask Steve Tipton if he would uh, pray for the shell nuts. We're going to miss the uh, the shell nuts, um, and uh, they have uh, they that that kind of puts an official cap on people who are allowed to move away uh, for the year. And so, uh, if you feel compelled to take another job, I'm going to need you to wait till 2019. <laughs> okay, awesome. Um, now we're going to do something a little bit differently. So. Uh, we are going to watch a short video interview. We're gonna, uh, hopefully we're gonna put out some more of these, uh, some more of these, uh, some more of these videos over time, highlighting different aspects of church life. But the first one, uh, we did, um, revolved around this area of giving. So, uh, without further ado. Uh, we had several uh, mature believers around us, one of which was a former pastor, and he gave a sermon actually about tithing and giving, and you know, he made it very clear, he said, you know, the temptation is just to look at everything that you owe 
and you pay your bills and you're wondering how you're going to give and he went on to explain he said if you will begin with the tithe first he said you will be amazed at how God helps you with what you've given away to make up for the difference uh, all your bills do get paid and most of the time you have great experiences how God fills in the details I think the biggest roadblock for me was uh, probably what a lot of couples struggle with well we, we, we can't do that because we can't pay our bills and our bills are first not knowing the joy that I was missing and that this was not something that was in my mind it was not something that was up, up for debate I finally understood that uh, God was calling me to do this it took me a long time to get there and I didn't understand it but um, because of that it's you know, it's, it's a great conviction of mine right now. There have been so many times over the years I've seen God provide in ways that I, I never even expected. Um, and when I became convicted about tithing, uh, it was uh, it was Christmas time, and I had re- received a substantially... For me, it was a substantially large check from my father. And it was Christmas morning, and everybody had left the room, and I called our pastor, and I said, at the time, our pastor at the time, and I, I said, so I received this gift. Do I have to tithe on it? And his words to me were, do you want to miss the blessing? And I said, No. <laughs> He said, okay. He told me one time, he said, you, you can't outgive God. And, and God has been so faithful to prove that true. Yeah, Jesus is always after our heart. And the challenge comes with an offer as well. And he's just so faithful to put you in a situation that I have to either choose what I think is best versus what he has called me to do. You re- we really don't trust that God's going to meet our needs. We really don't trust that He's going to keep the lights on or the children are going to have food and clothes and, and God becomes last. We think it's just monetary that God's going to, you know, or this man say, if you will just begin to tithe, God will open up the floodgates of heaven and bless you. And, I, you know, and the way he, he implied it was money and you know, well, that didn't prove to be true. But as I grew in that, I began to realize it wasn't just about the money. It was about um, different areas that God was at work at in my heart, teaching me things that were uh, had a grip on my heart. So, you know, it was a challenge, but, um, you know, I feel like if I can't trust God with my money, then I probably can't trust God with much else. When God makes a statement such as this, this is a promise. If though it's not maybe an immediate blessing in the sense that I get more money back, it's a blessing in that I trust Him more. And if I grow in my trust, now I'm growing in grace. And that is really the biggest blessing of all. If I get more money, to God be the glory, it just enables me to give more. Uh, if I don't receive more money, my life is perhaps filled with peace. Um, instead of anxiety, uh, in Matthew 6, we're told tonight we cannot obey two masters. And if we're trying to obey our checkbook, 
by what the balance tells us. We need to trust God with it and just trust Him with the outcome, good or bad. Trust Him and He will be faithful. He will honor His Word and He wants He wants to bless His children because He wants them to delight in Him. That's the greatest joy. of those videos just over the the months ahead i kind of goofed we were supposed to be passing the offering plate while the video was playing so i know that you're all gonna after watching that you're just gonna be bum rushing to get some money in here um so we're gonna stand and sing the doxology but uh one of our deacons uh will be at the the back door with the offering plate uh to give today so sorry i forgot to not do that but let's stand and let's sing the doxology and give praise to god for all of his gifts Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him, above ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, Amen. Please join us next door for Soup Sunday and now receive God's blessing. May the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight. To God be the glory. And God's people said, Amen. Amen.